0: All right, this is Inspiring Women. I'm Laurie McGraw and I am speaking with Rachel Jones and she is the CEO and founder of a new company, Syntax Health. We are doing an inspiring women collaboration with Redesign Health. Syntax is one of those companies. And I asked Redesign to, can, can I speak with some of your top Best, most exciting CEOs. And Rachel, you are
1: here and I'm excited to speak to you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here.
0: So let's get started on Inspiring Women. So you're here at the Health Conference. You're here talking about Syntax Health Mm -hmm. that came out of Stealth just a couple months ago. Um, But before we get into the company and what you're doing there, you're 20 years in healthcare. You're an expert in value based care. You're a deep data and algorithm expert. Tell me professionally, how did you get here? A little bit of the biosketch.
1: Absolutely, happy to do that, and again, thank you for the opportunity. I'll start with a personal piece first, if that's okay. I was born in Jamaica, and I came here when I was 10, to the US, and you know, I think as part of our culture, first-generation immigrants were driven to succeed, right? It's sort of in our DNA, and so pretty early on, I wanted to be a physician, Um, shocking to no one, that (laughs) (laughs) that's like the gold star, and then as I went to, pursue that, I realized what I was more interested in is the systems and why. How did the patient get here? What's the backstory? How can do they have, you know, the right support system and structures to help them stay healthy once Mm -hmm. they get healthy? Mm -hmm. And I was encouraged to go to grad school and be a hospital administrator. Mm -hmm. So I actually started my career in the hospital space. And when I was at the hospital, I just got fascinated with quality and data and management and understanding sort of how can I use data to tell a story? Mm Right, and really connect the dots of understanding between a lot of these complex principles and day-to-day practical work. And I went into the health payer side from that to really start off with taking balance scorecarding processes and quality processes Mm -hmm. into the insurance space. Okay, That lasted about two seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're like, oh, wait a minute, you know data? We need help with analytics Uh for network contracting and for provider contracting and health analytics. Uh And that just sort of led from there. I sort of took that first pivot from the hospital space into the payer space, and then went into the product space Uh and worked at a product company and ran product solutions. And then I started to see the magic of automation and data together Mm -hmm. and how to bridge that gap between telling stories with data and then bringing it to life with data and tooling and automation efficiency, Um, and really just sort of led that track and advancing up through different parts of, you know, healthcare management and leadership ultimately led me to Cotivity, where I led the quality and analytics team um, for, for a couple of years. But really building on all of that experience, I think what brought me to Syntax was the opportunity to do three things in my career. One, have the autonomy, to really lead and execute a vision of my own. Mm-hmm. And having worked in places like Anthem and Health First and Cotivity, seeing the impact of having a really strong vision on how to impact change on scale mm-hmm. was something that I wanted to do You know, in this, in this environment. The second was to do something where I could work with a team of folks on something really special. Yep. And I've been very fortunate to not only have the redesign team, but to build a team at Syntax that's really passionate about this idea of transparency and trust as the two keys to unlocking value okay. in care. Okay. And the third thing for me, I think if you know the Clifton Finder, Lori, do you yes, know that? Yes, yeah, I know that. My number three strength <laughs> is significance. Okay. And so doing things that matter is really important to me and having a legacy is really important to me. And you think about what, ba- what greater things that matter than healthcare.
0: Yep. Yep, 20. well, there is so much to unpack, okay, in <laughs> those um, three things. And so yeah. I think significance is where we're going to end. But before yes. we get there, um, I, you know, just in terms of the data that you started with, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in healthcare longer than you, mm-hmm. and um, we used to talk about when there's all this data, when there's all this data. There is so there's much so data much out data. there. So the fact yeah. that you know not only how to use it, but also analyze it in significant ways, and now we're moving into the value based yes. contracting space, which you know, quite a bit about, that's exciting. Yeah. So brings us to Syntax. Yes. So you're yes. excited about it, obviously. Yes.
1: What does the company do? Why does it matter? Absolutely, love that. So Syntax is a SaaS platform that sits, I like to say at the intersection of analytics and collaboration. Yep. So we're all about focusing on accelerating value-based care and we do that through three ways. First, we help to reduce the time it takes to get to a deal. Today, yep. on average, it takes about 12 to 15 months to negotiate one provider contract. Okay. That's simply too much time. Yeah. Right. So we focus on how can we bridge but that how do, time. But do you even, like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, like absolutely. What, what is a
0: normal amount of time to negotiate yeah. a contract? Normal should not
1: be 12 to 15 okay. months. Okay. <laughs> okay. I knew that. I did you, know so that. if you think about that, right, that means that the patient who's at the center, right, value based care, if we, if we dial it back a little bit, right, yep. and think about what value based care is actually all about. Yeah. Right. Value based care means that the physician is thinking about what's the right care model, care delivery model that aligns the best outcomes for that patient, right? That's kind of what we talk about health equity, that's the new word, but the idea of patient-centered care is what value-based care is all about. So it's aligning a clinical model and a financial payment mechanism okay right.
0: and i like that you say clinical first
1: yes yes um, because that's the point yeah it basically if, if if we think about why healthcare is a runaway train of costs mm-hmm. it's that we're doing all this unnecessary things right mm-hmm. expensive tests expensive drugs expensive therapies that may not be the best thing for that patient yep right so if you have a physician mind that's thinking about the clinical delivery and the financial incentive mm-hmm. right then you have aligned care yeah and yep. so when you think about what we're doing at syntax is really solving for how do we get more of this. Yeah. Right? We kind of have this log jam where the old way of paying fee for service is how folks are used to getting paid. Right. And so when you think about trying to increase and sort of, you know, bring in an alternative payment model through value-based care, it's like, what is that? How do I understand that? That's scary to me. I don't want to take on a risk. And and, and <laughs> then right? and we've
0: been talking about value-based care for, for quite, quite some time. Yes. For, and and I've thought it's really for those reasons. I yes. didn't know about the length of time yes. to negotiate one oh of these gosh. contracts yeah. the fact that you're yeah. solving that which seems ridiculous is um just like one yeah. of the yeah. benefits for syntax but what is your take on value based care are we really there are we on the threshold yeah. is this happening at yeah. a level of pace that we're going to cross this chasm
1: yeah, I, we have to mm-hmm. because we cannot sustain 20 percent of our gdp right with healthcare yep. costs that's right. more than some developed countries in the world yes <laughs> right yes and so when you think about what we're really talking about in in this sort of myth of value-based care. Number one, we're calling things value-based care that's not value-based care. Okay. It's glorified quality programs, right? Okay. True value-based care is patient-centered, population health payment. Okay. Meaning you're thinking about what's a group of members that I'm gonna now sort of attribute to a physician and take on risk for these quality and cost metrics. Okay. But if we just hold on that concept for a second, The reason why value-based care has been around for a long time, as you said, but really hasn't taken hold is because three things. One, we make it too complicated for folks to understand what winning looks like. Mm -hmm. At Syntax, we have this concept of best fit design, Mm -hmm. right? Value-based care is not one size fits all, and you have to really understand what's the best payment model for this physician and these members sh- or this patient cohort and what's in that
0: geography right? as well a like... lot of
1: things it could be geography it could be the condition perhaps yep. if I'm taking care of my an orthopedist and mm-hmm. I'm doing knee surgery perhaps bundles make sense for me yeah right because I'm doing best practice evidence-based medicine for bundles mm-hmm. but if you're a primary care physician bundles may not make sense for you yeah because you're seeing everything from colds to flu to broken bones yep. <laughs> <Right>? yeah yeah. <laughs> so a total cost model makes sense for you yeah but unfortunately as an individual we've kind of glummed it all together and we haven't thought about what's the best fit model design for that patient and that provider group to make them most successful. Yep. And so you have providers who are signing up with things they don't understand yep. and then getting to the end of the measurement period and not getting a check. And they're yep. like, well, why did I, I chase my tail for all this for what?
0: Yep, yep. And I've heard those stories oh too. And my yeah. goodness, Rachel, um, when I called you an expert in the area of value-based care and data, I didn't know how much I meant it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you I for mean, that. I mean, really, my goodness. That.
0: So you- um, I'm a little you're passionate about it. A little bit, just... <laughs> a little bit, you launched. Um, so what is the company focused on first? Yes.
1: Yes. So our our vision for syntax is really to be that end-to-end tooling and infrastructure okay. for value-based care. We started with modeling first. Okay. Because when you think about and walking the health floor this week, right, you see a lot of companies doing population health, patient engagement, you know, physician activation, risk coding accuracy, all the things. Yeah. Very important for value-based care enablement, yep. right? But what's missing is that upstream focus on best fit design and enabling efficient collaborative of modeling. Yep. So we have a point of view that you can't fix poor design downstream right and no amount and, of, a-
0: and it's really expensive to ex- fix it absolutely. downstream yes. and no
1: amount of care intervention will solve for a payment model that's flawed yep so we focus on in our beta solution really focused on how do you get the best fit model how do you do so efficiently to cut down the back and forth the emailing the pdfs yep. the sort of death by a thousand cuts yeah right yeah and then how do you do it that collaboratively so i think what's unique about our solution is a two-sided solution that has both the payer and the provider yeah right or the digital health company and the payer yep. or the provider and their other providers in the same sort of pool yes they can negotiate live yep it's a dynamic platform. You can change, and that's terms, what cuts down that cuts twelve down to t- 15 months there's you no were talking battling about. Battling of dueling spreadsheets and right. dueling actuaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You have the financial and sort of credibility and the actuarially sound model. Yep. But you have a software tool that automates the contract build and allows okay. both sides to negotiate together, which is really the point of value-based care. It's a team sport. Okay. It shouldn't be this head-to-head combat. It should be how can we create a win for all of us. Okay. So
0: the time is now. For value-based care yes. true value-based yes. care and you're leaning in to make it yes. more efficient and focused clinical first exactly. financial second exactly. but full package okay I want to dig into um, you know a topic around that and you know being a data expert on um, yourself and I know that you are also very passionate about health equity mm-hmm. that is something that you bring to the table yeah. um, and one of the things that we know about health equity and everyone's talking about it is that with all of this data there's bias in the data mm-hmm. a lot of the data is dirty data and, you know, there's pockets of missing data and with all these wonderful algorithms and everything else that can actually result in furthering the equity divides. Yeah. So I would just love your, first of all, your perspective on yeah. it just generally, yeah. but then also as, as you think about it, how do you, how do you separate just the talk about health equity versus like to what action. really needs to happen?
1: Yeah. yeah. I love that question. I'll tell you why. One, I think I'm so excited to see that we've now created a lexicon for this conversation around health equity, Mm -hmm. right? It's not a, a novel concept to think about the unique care that I need as a 45-year-old black woman, mm-hmm, right? Versus mm-hmm. the care that you might need in your stage of life, mm-hmm. right? Health equity is all about- Kind
0: kind term, my stage of life. <laughs> Thank you, you Rachel. You know, you know, <laughs> listen, I am, I am also seasoned.
1: <laughs> and so at the end of the day, our care needs are different. Mm-hmm. Our, our medical histories are different. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. health equity is all about acknowledging that your needs and my needs are different, mm-hmm. and our care should match the needs that we have, Mm -hmm. right? That's the big picture, but how do you boil it down in something that's actionable? That's where I think data comes in. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we're finally starting to collect data on things like social determinants of health, where you live impacts your health. Mm-hmm. Where you go to school impacts your health. Mm-hmm. Your earnings potential impacts your health. If I have to worry about paying the rent or paying the light bill versus going to get a you know go to the doctor, right. I'm gonna choose the light bill and the rent. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. So now we have information about where people live, how they live, what's their health factors. Right? What are the things I'm more predisposed to given my health makeup versus yours, right? Mm-hmm. Now what do we do about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where value-based care comes in. Okay. Because now you're saying if you can now align the incentives for the physicians and your medical group, right, who's thinking about your care in a way that ties to the Unique factors that determine your health, mm-hmm. right? So now we're manage, we're, marri- we're sort of marrying health equity with value-based care. Mm-hmm. We can then funnel the resources that you need through the value-based care mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you think about fee-for-service today, you're it's all about billable codes, yeah, right. If I have to go for a flu shot, or if I have to get a vaccine, or if I have to get a test, that's a right. billable code. Right. There's no billable code for food. Right, right. <laughs> There's no billable code <laughs> for let <laughs> me in. get you an <laughs> air conditioner because it's, right. you know, yeah. because you're in a high-level apartment and you're, yeah. it's fluttering heat in, right. in Bronx. Right? right, right. So now you think about if you're incentivizing folks who are coordinating care through mm-hmm. a financial mechanism of payment called value-based care. Mm-hmm. They can redirect those resources that have no billable codes.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, Rachel, you also have a background, you know, on the payer space, yes. and you also know that a lot of the healthcare access and delivery issues have to mm-hmm. deal with affordability. Yes. So how do you use that data lens and building out these contracts with the, with, I mean, because the, the desire is to have better patient outcomes, and yes. some of that better patient outcomes, a large part of it is Affordability. And affordability
1: right and I, I think I'll give you one example so um, when I was at Anthem now Elevance and, and our value-based care program our total cost of care program one of the key tenants was this idea of a care coordination fee yeah right so that's just a PMPM PM that was risk-based yeah that acknowledged that for that provider they need a little kicker if yep. you will to invest in addressing access and affordability yeah so some practices might extend office hours yeah you know or have a Saturday office hours for folks who can't get off their job in the a week, yep. or they might have nurse practitioners, yep. or they might have home calls or home visits. It's really giving that provider the autonomy and the agency to use those funds as best as they need for that population, but acknowledging that you need to have that upfront investment in yeah. the EMR or whatever it is to do that patient-centered care.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, again, you know, your knowledge and depth in this is just um, incredible, Thank but you. your passion is just yeah. shining through. Yeah. And um, I am rooting for you, you. in Syntax Health <laughs> because it sounds like you have the opportunity to really make an impact and a yeah, difference. Yeah. I wanna sort of turn our Inspiring Women conversation back to you, oh, um, okay. and um, I want to, you you know, first congratulate you. You are a member of the very exclusive 1% club. That is 1% of CEOs who are not only female, but are black. And that is a very, very small um, club to be in. So, um, so while that is great to be in that exclusive club, um, I want to just really ask you about, first of all, your leadership style and how did you get there? What did you have to break through? And then also just literally your advice for why it shouldn't be so hard um, for others yeah. to be at the same level of executive position yeah. that yeah. you are at.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for that. I do think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, everyone has a different leadership journey and. Everyone has their fair share of challenges. But I think for me, in, in sort of specifically to your question, representation matters, mm-hmm. right? So for me, when I looked around the room to see who looked like me at these tables, there weren't a lot. Right. There's some, you know, yep. folks like Ursula Burns, you know, Rod Brewer, certainly are role models for folks like myself who are up and coming in this industry. But I think at the core, when I talk about representation, is two things. One, especially being in venture, right? Yeah. When I go to these investor talks, I don't see a lot of folks on the other table that look like me. Right, right. So, first, it's creating sort of opportunities for more representation on the venture side of the table, mm-hmm. right? Because we you know people tend to do business with folks who look like them. That's right.
0: <laughs> right? That's and right. So, I
1: think that's one. Two, I think it's also this idea of, having a little bit of bravery, Mm -hmm. right? To sort of put your hand out and say, you know, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I think we, we know this as women, we tend to want to check every box before we apply for a role. Right. 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 And don't do that. Men go, if I kind of can do that, I'm going to go for it. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So I think it's part, part of, for me it's also having the acknowledgement to say that if i believe i have the skills i have the passion i may not have all the answers but i believe i have what it takes mm-hmm. go for it mm-hmm. right and there's a little bit of a go for itness that i want to see us have to mm-hmm. really create more opportunities for all of us at that table
0: The the problem is so Large. I mean, for women led companies, they are receiving 2% of the venture funding. 2% that needle has not moved significantly. And for women of color, that is significantly lower. And when you talk about not a lot of people who look like you on other sides or same sides um, of the table, we're talking about a very, very, very few amount of people so maybe firstly who do you surround yourself with because I think that you're absolutely right we need more people you know on the other side of the table but that equation will not change rapidly enough to have five more women CEOs that look like you at your level of talent and caliber you know out there doing the level of work that you're doing so who do you surround yourself with
1: yeah I I love that because I do think it's important to think about your sort of board of directors, your circle of trust, if yep. you will. You know, for me, I'm very fortunate to have married my junior high school sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we've been since I was 13. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but, but what's awesome about that is that my husband and my son are my first cheerleaders. Yeah. Right. And so I do think wh- whatever that looks like for you in your life, having a strong core and center to sort of ground and, and frankly, escape sometimes mm-hmm. of the things you do in your professional life is so important. Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer in sort of self-care and self-improvement and i tend to surround myself with folks who are like that i belong to a mastermind group Uh we meet once a month on saturdays we share leadership ideas and inspire each other Uh i'm also a member of chief Uh and that has been an amazing outlet to meet women in my level and sort of who are working at my level of leadership yeah because again no matter if you're in healthcare or tech or finance or whatever there's a certain level of challenges we all hit, right, at that that sort of leadership level. And to have someone to bounce ideas off of and sort of share resources, share tips has been priceless. Mm -hmm. And of course, redesign, right? Redesign, I think, for me, my first startup is redesign in this company, Syntax. I've been a corporate queen my entire career. (laughs) (laughs) So being here and redesign sort of supporting not only with the funding and sort of financing mechanisms, but also the infrastructure of other CEOs who are on this journey with me have mm-hmm. been incredible for support.
0: Yeah. Well, Rachel, when you talk about it, I mean, just to comment, I mean, it really does sound like you have it all oh, put God. together <laughs> and, um, and you're making it sound easy. No. And I just don't believe for a no. second that it has no. been anything no. but that. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind yeah. sharing perhaps, uh, when you've been in one of those moments where, um, where it wasn't easy for the wrong reasons, yeah. somebody didn't um, yeah. expect your credentials to be all that, yeah. and they yeah. didn't believe that you were yeah. the executive that you are, or whatever yeah. the issue yeah. might be. How in a moment did you deal with something like that? Because I think those um, those issues are everywhere. everywhere, and women and women who are of color they need to know how to deal with it because we're yeah. not systemically the issues. Yeah. We're not changing yeah. those overnight.
1: No, and that's life, right? Yep. So, so thank you for saying that. I look like I have it all together. <laughs> That was, that was the point. Great, great <laughs> job. But I'll tell you one of my favorite analogies is like, you know, you're like on this like a duck, right? On the surface, nice and calm, flapping like <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is the vibe. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you that for me, um, to, to answer your question about sort of like what's a moment when you felt like, okay, this is all falling apart. Um, at when I was back at Anthem again, I had the opportunity to do an entrepreneurship yep. where we were going to sort of take one of our sort of internal products and commercialize them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Sign me up! I'm ready. Put yep. me in, coach, right?" Yep. And we started on this path, and we're going. We're like building a team. I hired a sales team, an account management team, and we're off. We got our first little contract and a client. And then leadership changed, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Oh, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to bring that back in house." So okay. now I had to lay off people Uh, who I brought in and who I sold into this vision right uh and I took that personally for a moment Uh Gloria I did I felt like I let these people down Yep. Yep, and that was definitely like one of those earth shaking moments and so two things I learned from that one pick your head up every now and then and read the room yeah. If I has if I was reading the room a bit more, I would have seen the signs and the winds changing. But yep. I was heads down focused on just go, go, go. Which again, a lot of women, especially black women, have been taught work twice as hard to get half as far. Yep. Right. So I was just working. Yes. And I wasn't looking around. Yes. I didn't see the politics changing. Okay. Right. So I learned about that. Second, I also learned about grit and grace. Everybody who I sat down and talked about, like, hey, this is what's going on. There's been a change in leadership. I'm gonna do my best to help you land somewhere in the organization or to help you land somewhere else outside. It wasn't like, oh my God, you're the worst person in the world. It was like, thank you yeah. for telling me, number one, yep. transparently, tactfully, yep. and then partner with me to help me through the transition. Okay. And I think that comes down to grit and grace. Yeah, you have to have grit in this in any business that you're in. You have yeah. to have a little bit of like suck it upness. Yeah, right? <laughs> stuff is gonna happen. You're gonna suck it up. But then, can you be graceful? Can you be thoughtful? In the transition, no matter where it is, yeah, and come out on the other side,
0: Yep. and and pretty impressive also that you can emotionally remove the taking it very personally yeah. that and tough. lean into the leadership lesson yes. that yes. comes with that. I mean, that's even more than but, great but that's, grace. that's incredible. But
1: that's the calling, right? Yep. We're all called to lead at some point, no yep. matter what level, no matter what title. And I think whenever you can take yourself out and sort of be called to the moment, yes, right, that's when true leadership shows up. Yeah.
0: Well, the leadership is definitely yeah. showing up right here. <laughs> so, Rachel, this is just an incredible um conversation and yeah. I really appreciate it as we close out yep. with inspiring women um, today maybe just um so you've already shared really just unbelievable advice. But as you speak to other women, younger, aspiring women yes. who want to be Rachel yes. Jones, yes. Oh my what God. do you tell them?
1: Well, first, don't be Rachel Jones, be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one of you. Um, I, I think a couple things come to mind. One of the questions you had and sort of the prep for this, I love so much about sort of claiming credit mm-hmm. for your accomplishments. I don't know where I learned this. It might have been one of my early mentors. I started keeping like a like a little win log. First, it was a journal, and now it's on my iPhone and my notes. But every time you have a personal win, a professional win, record that. Wow. Because men brag on themselves without even asking. <laughs> it's like standing around <laughs> a coffee table. And it's like, hey, did you know I closed this deal? <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> right? And so I think for me, I've always started to keep early in my career. I've kept this sort of win log. So I can sort of reference those wins in an interview, in a moment, at a cocktail party, and start to talk about sort of positioning yourself as a leader and as a winner from uh-huh. the start, right? Second, I think it's really important to know your worth in ad tax,
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: right? We need to research roles. We need to understand what the comp is for those roles. Don't be afraid to ask for that. Yes. Know your experience, again, that win log, right? Yep. So you can stand on that confidently, and at a certain level, you have to just go for it. Yep. And you have to know that you are enough and that all the things you've done you'll rise to meet the moment, and you'll be successful.
0: Rachel, this is just like an unbelievable boatload oh of my God. excellent thank information. You. I so appreciate it. This has been an excellent, inspiring women interview. I've been speaking with Rachel Jones and Rachel, thank you so thank you. much. Thank
1: you. Pleasure to be here.
0: This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.